0: Hello and welcome to episode 381 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Nathan Fox. That's Ben Olson. Together we're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. You can be LSAT famous. Get on an upcoming show by contacting us via our website, thinkinglsat.com. We love it when you share news uh, about law school admissions or the LSAT. We love it when you ask us questions. Uh, That's really the bulk of the show. (laughs) We answer your questions. This show is going to air on Monday, December 19th. Not a lot of important action deadlines coming up. I guess December 27th. You have to decide whether you want to register for the February 2023 LSAT. Go to LSAT.link forward slash dates if you want to see all those registration deadlines, score release dates, all that kind of stuff. Please come to our free shit. Um, I have a free class coming up on Thursday, December 29th. That one is going to be about overcoming score plateaus. You can go to LSAT.link forward slash Nathan if you want to sign up for that free class. We also have uh, upcoming a free proctored practice test that's on Saturday, January 7th. Mark your calendars. Come to the practice test. There will be uh, an LSAT tutor there at the end of the test to answer questions. Um, so please take advantage of all of the free resources that we have available with, uh, just a free demon account. You can do what Ben a couple weeks, at least of like hardcore LSAT prep, just using our free resources. Yeah. I had a new student in class the other night who told me that she, it's like, she seemed like she was getting it, even though she was brand new. And she's like, well, I did all the free stuff before I signed up. I exhausted the free stuff before I signed up. I was like, you're a winner. Like if I could bet on one of you, I would bet on you because you're the one who is like actually doing the work. I appreciate it when people pay us, of course, but I weirdly appreciate it even more when people take full advantage of the copious free resources that we have made available. Yeah. Ready for the show? What did we talk about today? What was the uh, highlight the highlight was the two
1: mouse. Story.
0: <laughs> he liked that yeah. right off the right off the bat here. We're going to get into a lengthy discussion of uh, a, of, a, of a mouse analogy. Uh, well, you'll find out. I I greatly enjoyed. Um, I thought the second thing on the agenda was really uh, kind of useful. Anytime we get a law school dean talking to us, uh, they weren't talking to us, but we have a we have a letter, an open letter from the dean of the University of Virginia Law School and uh, talking about why they backed out of why they're not going to provide information to us news (laughs) for us news rankings that's not the same thing as opting out of the rankings you can't opt out of the rankings you can refuse to provide data to the rankings agency and uh, dean g at virginia is explaining why they've made that decision ready to dive in let's do it all right we have An email here, looks like this is from Anonymous. The subject was, which mouse should we be?
1: You want to read it? Yeah. I was watching an old movie called Catch Me If You Can. I seem to remember that being a good movie. And this story was told. Two little mice fell in a bucket of cream. The first mouse quickly gave up and drowned. The second mouse wouldn't quit. He struggled so hard that eventually he churned that cream into butter and crawled out. Of course, in the movie, the point of his, this story was that the father thought he was the second mouse, but he was actually the first mouse, and his son was really the second mouse. Sometimes I hear you tell people to study for the LSAT and quickly give up if they're not making progress and go off and do something else with their life. Other times you tell people to keep studying and try to get a higher score because lawyers are relentless and do not give up. So which mouse should we be? <laughs> Both. Maybe. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm We're outside not going to your speaker. premise. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, here's the thing. If you're going to be a lawyer. Like a real lawyer. Then you're going to be the second mouse. For sure. Right. I mean, you're not going to be successful in legal practice if you don't have The. The stick to itiveness of that second mouse. Like, you're gonna, like, you're just gonna work and 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 work. work. (laughs) I mean, if you're really a lawyer, you're gonna turn it into butter, have the opportunity to crawl out, and then instead, you're gonna like keep going. Jump back in. (laughs) Yeah. Or like look for the nearest. Addition, another bucket of cream and dive into that one like that, because, you know, that's like the successful lawyers that I know. And I think you would agree with me, Ben, like the successful lawyers that we know are just some of the unbelievably hardest working people that you're ever going to meet. So it's like it really is the people that don't take no for an answer. Aren't afraid of confrontation. Like (laughs) they're gonna. Always Go. All the way, but yeah, (laughs) but before you get to that point, like, I I guess, you know, if you know that you are the second mouse and if that's appealing to you, if that's what you want to do for your life, then maybe great. Like you might have found the dream field for you. Mm -hmm. But if you're not sure which mouse you are, the odds are (laughs) you're like me and you're the first mouse and For people like me, I mean, it's unequivocally better that I did not try to persist and pursue a a life in the law. Because there's no way I would have been happy or successful
1: at it. Yeah. I mean, the way this email is written, it sounds like we're giving contradictory advice, but not really. It's If this doesn't seem like the right path for you, then don't struggle in it. If it seems like there's hope here, that you might enjoy this on some level, (laughs) then go all in and keep struggling. The struggle, I don't know if that's the right word, but there is struggle on some level. I mean, anything you pursue that you want to get really good at, you're going to struggle at it at some point. There's hardly any easy paths, but that struggle is worth it to you because you value the outcome so much or at least more than the struggle and part of the struggle becomes fulfilling. Right. And on some level, enjoying, enjoy, enjoying, that's not the right word. <laughs> like anyways, something that you enjoy. Yeah. I mean, well, look,
0: like I have found in my life, a career that doesn't feel like work. And that would be my hope for everyone that you would find The same kind of career satisfaction that I have, which is I've found something that I I'm good at it. I love doing it. I can get paid for it. It's the perfect fit for me. And for successful lawyers, um, the, you know, Cole Blacks of the world, she loves it. She loves that struggle. I mean, she's at her desk every day from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., with a brief break to microwave a couple noodles. And she loves it. <laughs> she wakes up in the morning with a giant stack of work to do. She works until 7 p.m. She knows she has another giant stack of work to do tomorrow, and she couldn't be happier. And it's tedious, detail oriented, high stakes, high pressure, but also very like super detailed task oriented, dot your I's, cross your T's, triple check everything. You know, it's that kind of like high stakes tedium and she Mm -hmm. loves it. So that, but I mean, she's the second mouse, she's born the second mouse. And so for her, she has found work that I don't think it feels like work for her. For her, that's just her life and she loves it. That's what she wants to be doing with her life. She has said that explicitly. I want work to be the primary focus of my life. Great. (laughs) Then have I got a career for you? Law is (laughs) that's wonderful, but I don't want that. And I, I hated that shit. You know, Mm -hmm. blue booking endlessly looking up how to format a certain citation or whatever. Like That type of shit is not for me. And so I'm so glad that I didn't like persist in something that I hated. Because it would have been so much better to just recognize that, hey, in this field, I'm the first mouse. Like, I don't like this shit. Fuck it. (laughs) I'm I'll drown here if that's what that is. Yeah. In the metaphor. And man, I could have done that so many times in my life. You know, my first job, I was right out of college. I was a stockbroker. I I didn't I didn't like it. I hated it. I could Mm. have been successful if I would have like really grinded it out and stuck to it. But grinding it out and sticking to it when it's not really a good fit for you. I just think that's a horrible idea. I was going to say, especially for young people, but I think it's just a horrible idea for anybody. Why would you stick with stuff that is just purely torture?
1: Yeah. I mean, to play devil's advocate here a little bit, I think um, Angela Duckworth argues that people have to stick with something for a certain amount of time to gain enough competency to then gain interest in it. I guess she was, and she had some rule where she said like, Uh, this was for high school kids, they had to commit to something for at least, I think it was six months or maybe a year, and then they could decide not to do it. That was her rule because there can be a lot of this initial learning curve that can slow people down. Yeah. And you know, that's hard too, because what you're going to spend a year or even just six months on everything you encounter. On some level, you have to decide pretty quickly (laughs) that you don't like it. Otherwise, you can only dabble with so many things in your life before you find something that you like because you're gonna have to spend six months figuring out whether you like it or even a year. So I don't know if that's a good rule or not, but I think there's something there, right? You can give up too easily on something because you lack the competence enough to make that decision.
0: The, the problem with that is that it then puts you in a position where you really have to think carefully about all the things that you try. You can't just try something
1: because you're like, well, if I try this, then I'm committed to it for a year. Yeah. And you can learn a lot even just from a week, right? Like you could try something and see some potential. You're not there yet, but you're like, okay, I see some potential. I'm going to keep going. And some things you may try for a week and be like, God, I absolutely hate this. And it would be weird to stick to that for another six months. So I don't know what to make of her rule. But there is something there. I think people can give up too easily, too.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I know a little bit about Angela. I've been listening to the um, No Stupid Questions podcast. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's uh, <clears throat> her and Steve Dubner, I think. Uh, from Free Freakonomics. guy? Yeah. Yep. All my favorite podcasts are the Freakonomics Radio. Have you been listening to people I mostly admire? No, nope. that's an excellent, heard of it. excellent podcast. So good. I think that one is Levitt. He's the University of Chicago economist, right?
1: Mm, I don't he know. He does
0: interviews yeah. with extremely, extremely interesting people. Hmm. Uh, people I mostly admire. It's really good. Um, anyway, back to Angie Duckworth. She, I mean, she's a badass, like no doubt, but she's also like extremely, you can tell just by listening to how she talks, like she's extremely type A. Yep. She's an extreme achiever type of person. So, you know, if you already have a career, like if you already are, oh, I don't know, a marathoner, for example, mm-hmm. or if you're some other like, I don't know, it could be an extreme athlete of some sort or it could be an extreme um killer in some sort of professional field although in that case like why do you want to change professional fields but if you know like a violin how about you know you were like a, a concert violinist in high school yep like high level one well then you have some idea about like the grit that you already possess and so you know for you, it might be a little bit different when you apply that grit towards something like law school, the, the LSAT first and then law school. Mm-hmm. But if you've never I think many, many people reach us without ever having really worked that hard at stuff in their life, mm-hmm. like if we're being honest. And you know, how hard was my life before I found the LSAT? Not very hard. I hadn't really worked hard at, at, at anything. Mm hmm. And. I mean, the LSAT turned out to be easy for me, but but law school itself was like, oh, my God, I'm not going to try to compete with you killers like ultra type A, ultra good students. That's not the that's not the arena that I want to be playing in. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like it's so much better to just I guess we're both entrepreneurs, right, Ben? So our. Our analysis of things frequently is informed by this theory of like failing fast. It's good in entrepreneurship to fail fast. What fail fast means is you try something, but like at a minimally viable level so that you find out quickly whether it's going to work. And I don't know what fail fast on the LSAT is. But I think it's something along the lines of get a free demon account. Give it your best shot with our explanations for two weeks. Are you feeling the click or are you not feeling the click?
1: Yeah. And do you en- enjoy it on some level, right? Like you don't have to love it, but when you do you enjoy solving the mystery, solving the puzzle, whether that's games, logical reasoning, or reading comp? When you're reading through the explanations and you maybe are struggling to understand why the answer is what it is fine. But do you in, on some level, are you curious (laughs) what the actual answer is or are you merely doing this to get something else, right? Are you solely pushing yourself through this to get into law school? And there's no, (laughs) there's no interest in the actual substance of the test. That's a sign that law itself may not be of interest to you.
0: Oh, yeah, I agree with that a thousand percent. I mean, if you can't get interested in these little toy games, you know, like little you can think of a reading comp or sorry, you can think of a logic game as like a here's the laws that govern these facts. Right. Yep. And here's same the laws thing on, that
1: govern some random unknown country.
0: <laughs> yeah. Same thing on logical reasoning. It's like, well, here's a couple of rules that apply in this, sure, country, and yeah. here's a conclusion that we're trying to draw under this legal system. Okay, so does that conclusion actually follow from those rules? And if you can't get in there and make an argument for and against how that argument, you know, how that conclusion is or is not justified by those facts, if you can't get interested in that in miniature, when we're explaining it on a logical reasoning question, (laughs) what makes you think you're going to enjoy it in a vastly, infinitely more complex real world legal situation? It's not going to get better. I think people freak like if you think, oh, I just have to overcome this LSAT and then my legal career, I'll be minted as a lawyer. Well, yeah, you're that's not going to work out for you the way you think it's going to work out. That you need to think of the LSAT as like just the tip of the iceberg that these are like miniature legal challenges that you're going to be able to master as preparation for vastly more complex challenges that are down the road. I guess that's we, we do need to think about, you know, to go back to this uh, mouse metaphor. If we're thinking about the LSAT as one of the bu- as a bucket of cream. Yep. Well, <laughs> that second mouse, the one who keeps going and going and going and going and going and churns the cream into butter and climbs out of the bucket. Well, what they do is they then jump into an ocean of cream. Mm hmm. That represents like law school and a legal career, right? Can you see the bucket of cream floating in the ocean of cream? <laughs> the <hell's laughs> out this is the bucket was, of cream.
1: <laughs> I was imagining it being a bucket of cream in an ocean. I don't know why I didn't translate to that to cream. But yeah, um, I mean, I get what you're saying. There's a lot more uh, and a lot messier <laughs> legal landscape ahead of you.
0: Right. Yeah. And uh, and a much harder, like a much bigger vat of cream to try to churn. Yeah. You're going to you're going to literally die
1: trying to churn that bucket of cream. I think one thing that might be helpful. Yes, you're (laughs) hopefully. Yeah, you're going to. No, but Ruth
0: Bader Ginsburg is everybody's fucking hero. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg did die while still churning the bucket of cream. I mean,
1: that was her vision for her life. Very true. And she was able to do that, I think in part, well, mainly, maybe mainly in part, because there was some joy or value or reward coming out of the churning itself, right? Like sometimes I think people think about this analogy and it's like, well, I'm churning this butter to get out of here. And it's like, no, you've got to find some motivation or drive to do the churning. And if you can find that and you can sense that pretty quickly, like, are you finding enjoyment in doing these practice, these practice problems? I mean, it doesn't have to be fun right off the bat, but there is some sort of motivation to do them. That's not just pure. What is it? You know, when you force yourself to do something that you don't want to do, you're like constantly thinking about when it's going to be over.
0: Yeah. If you're watching the clock or looking at the number of questions left or thinking about how many more practice tests you have to do, thinking about when your official test date is thinking, I can't wait until I'm done with this, then I don't know. I, to me, I think you should probably just give up now. Yeah, because you're not like that's that's where this metaphor totally breaks down, is that the first mouse who gave up and drowned. Well, in in our actual context with the LSAT, you don't give up and drown. You give up and you go, oh, wow, I don't like I don't like that game. I don't like the but the cream churning game. Fuck that.
1: No, I don't like cream. I like cotton candy. And boy, <laughs> I'm a lot better at churning up that than Well, cream. and when
0: you make that decision, you are miraculously transported out of the bucket of cream into yep. the cotton candy machine. Yep. And then now you're off doing something else. And yeah, the the most gratifying emails we receive. I mean, there are two types of extremely gratifying emails, and one of them is the first mouse and one of them is the second mouse.
1: Yep. someone who's left and found something else and they're so glad they left and someone who has pushed through and scored their second 170 plus score because they tried again and now they're applying in the fall (laughs) or they've already gotten offers. Yeah. Oh yeah. The many, many students who already
0: have scholarship offers for the class of that starts in 2023. Yeah. You know, those people who exhausted all of their attempts, you know, they didn't, they didn't take the LSAT until they were fully prepared. They improved their LSAT by 25 points or whatever it was. They They got a 170 something, as you say, Ben, they got greedy and took it again because they thought they could do a little bit better. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. And then applied early in the cycle. And now they're looking at all these scholarship offers for 2023. That's extremely gratifying. That's the second mouse. That's the one that just kept churning. And good luck, because when you get into law school, there's going to be more churning to be done. And after law school, even more churning than that. So hope you're enjoying the churning. But for the other people who are like, you know, I realized that I have a totally viable other career path. Maybe I'm already working in a job that I like. Or whatever else. (laughs) For those people, it's immensely gratifying when we get those emails. You know, thank you very much for helping me decide that it was okay to give up on this fantasy of being a lawyer I realized that it was something that, you know, maybe my mom and dad had forced down my throat or maybe I had reflexively chosen law because I thought, well, I wanted to be a doctor, but then pre-med didn't work out. So then I wanted to be a lawyer, but I hadn't really thought about it. I hadn't, you know, I didn't know what that actually entailed. As soon as I got into it, it I realized that it seems kind of miserable you guys keep saying it's miserable. I decided to do something else. That's like, OK, I, I feel like I have helped you. The maximum that I can possibly help you when that happens. Yeah. All right. Whoever sent this in probably didn't expect 20 minutes on the uh, mouse metaphor. <laughs> they just wanted was it mouse one or two? <laughs> I want to stress. Yeah. I want I do want to stress that the LSAT is a is a bucket a bucket of cream <laughs> and that when you escape, if you do decide to be mouse number two, and if you do decide to escape the bucket of cream, I think you're immediately, you're in a swimming pool of cream, which is law school. law school. Yeah. churn that for three years. And when you escape that, you jump over the edge and you realize, oh shit, this was a infinity pool on the edge of an ocean of cream. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to just, churn and churn and churn and churn and churn for yeah the rest of your career. And lawyers frequently don't retire. You know, it's just like they because the ones that are really apt for it are the ones who it's not work for them. It's a life for them. Right. Yeah. Enough of that. Enough of that. Email here from Chris says UVA says it will not provide data to U.S. News and World Report. I imagine many law schools are following the same line of reasoning In an effort to weaken the reliability of U.S. News and World Report rankings. Thought I'd pass it along. VR, Chris. And we have a link here. This is an open letter. I I found it actually kind of interesting. Yeah. Should I read the whole thing? I can read the whole thing.
1: Yeah, read the whole thing. It's not super long. I mean, it's long, but uh, it's it's this is from the dean of the of UVA. Yeah. And so let's hear this Dean's perspective. And I just saw the word transformative too in here. I thought that was funny. <laughs>
0: they always love to uh, talk about trans, but <laughs> so it's a transformative experience. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, let's read it. Okay. An open letter to prospective students from Dean Golubov. I'm writing to you about recent developments surrounding the U.S. News and World Report Law School rankings. Some of you may be closely following the news about which law schools will continue to provide US, provide information to U.S. News and which have announced that they will not. Others may have a vague sense that the rankings landscape has shifted. And for still others, this letter may be the first time you hear of it. Wherever you <laughs> okay. are...
1: Cut all, cut, <laughs> uh, cut all of that. Cut it. All of that. Yeah. I'm telling was, you where you might be in this situation. Oh, thank you. Like, <laughs> I know. Also, starting with I
0: am writing to you about. Oh, like, never say. Never needed. <laughs> Just go ahead and write about it. I will infer yeah. that that's what you're writing about. Um, <laughs> it's funny. These okay. people uh, frequently, I, I think the higher they get, the less anyone is ever willing to give them an edit. Or maybe they yeah. don't even ask. Like Dean no. Goluboff could have been like, Chef's oh, this kiss. Is this is great. Yeah. <laughs> Print it. It's ready to go. No errors. Okay. Yeah. No notes on my own <laughs> document. All right. Sorry, Dean G. We don't want to, we don't even know this person. All right. Yeah, it's, this is bad. Sorry. Wherever you are in the process of considering your legal education, ugh. The process of considering your legal education. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No one edited this. Yeah. I want to draw your attention to these developments because they concern you. They concern your plans for law school and your ability to make a well-informed choice about what law school you will choose to attend. Wow. Second person almost. Is that second person? Speaking directly to the reader with you. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. A legal education is transformative. Space, M-dash, space. Come on. We don't put spaces around (laughs) M-dashes. Do we? I mean, if you do, you have to be consistent about it, but... Okay. Okay. It can transform how you think, and it can transform your career prospects and life trajectory. It can also be expensive. No shit. Choosing a law school is a decision you should make with as much information as possible about what kind of education you will receive, what kind of community you are joining, and what kind of support for your professional dreams you can expect.
1: You know, I wanted to read this letter, but so far I'm hating it. None of this information is, like, useful. It's not
0: news. Yeah. It's relatively content-free so far. I mean, it's not—it's surprise-free, I should say. Yeah. Like, no shit. Law school can be expensive, or you should get as much information. Like, yeah, okay, we got it. <laughs> what's, your, what's your point here? Burying the lead. Is what yeah. this is called. Yep. Rankings can provide helpful guidance, and US News has long aggregated data about law schools. That said, over reliance on a single source can distort decision making. And any given ranking is only as useful as the relevance and accuracy of the comparative information on which it is based. For some time, I and many other legal educators have suggested ways for US News to better align its rankings with the values and goals of legal education and the information applicants might find most pertinent to their law school experience. As they currently stand, the U.S. news rankings fail to capture much of what we value at UVA. Facilitating access to legal education and the legal profession for students from every background, semicolon, fostering the free exchange of ideas within a community of joy, humanity, and trust, semicolon, and providing top-notch teaching by accomplished faculty, semicolon supporting public service semicolon and launching our graduates into the stellar career paths of their choosing
1: okay in short we don't like how the rankings we don't like how the game is played with the rankings
0: yeah and like here's a whole list of all the bullshit that we think is important but then not really explaining why US
1: News doesn't reach like doesn't capture that stuff and uh, I, as soon as these things start getting fluffy, I, I start to glaze over joy, humanity and trust. How in the world is rankings, our rankings are rankings supposed to assess that anyway? It, it almost it starts to feel like, hey, we're losing at this game on some level, and we don't want to play. I'm sure other people are complaining about how the rankings are, are being. <laughs> uh, it's weird for me to be defending the rankings right now, but I'm just saying rankings are based on numbers and all these things are somewhat or many of these things are very subjective not numbers based yeah well u.s uh,
0: sorry uva was also not a first mover here right like it was harvard first yep and then what cal yale stanford yeah and then eventually we heard other top 10 top 14 schools like uva backing out of these rankings yeah so it's it's kind of like a I don't know it's a little sounds to me like a post-hoc r- rationalization of like oh yeah we also don't like the rankings cuz UVA always yeah. does really really good in the rankings. Mhm. You know, m- more maybe than the the national prestige of UVA. Like growing up in California, UVA, what? What's that? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Harvard, Yale, you know, everybody knows those schools since birth. Anyway, This year, the U.S. News rankings will provide less guidance than usual. A number of law schools, including nearly all of UVA's peers, have announced that they will withhold data from U.S. News. In response, U.S. News has said it will continue to rank all law schools, but it has not said how it will account for the departed school's missing information or what changes it might make in response to the critiques law schools have articulated. Schools might move up or down the rankings, perhaps significantly, not because their quality has changed, but because U.S. News has changed its formula in ways that are neither transparent nor meaningful. I want to Wait, push back on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, they post exactly what percentage they give to each right data point. You they can collect. look
0: it up every year. So they haven't announced in advance what they're going to do for probably next year's rankings. That out. Yeah, but why would they like what 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 a responsibility do they have to explain to Dean G here how they're going
1: to rank law schools? Especially for a school that's refused to work with them.
0: Well, (laughs) yes, now that they have refused to work with them, then, of course, they're not going to reveal anything, because what incentive would there be then to like play nice with us? Yeah. Also. Aren't the rankings, like, shouldn't the rankings actually be more credible if the schools are not like participating?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Tied to the rankings agency? We just saw this problem with Columbia, right? They were reporting bad information and U.S. News was just taking it. Now U.S. News is going to have to get its own information. That seems to increase the likelihood that it will be credible information. Exactly. By limiting themselves only to the information that is available, Um, And apparently a lot of information is still quite available publicly. Um, Yeah, it's it's like they're going to take responsibility for gathering that information. Uh, It's
0: yeah. I mean, you're asking like you're going and asking the foxes what they think of in-house security. Yeah. I mean, like why? Why would it's almost I could make an argument that. From the very beginning, there should have been no contact between U.S. News and these law schools. It should have been like, oh, no, we're an independent ratings agency. We can't talk to you. Yeah. But instead, for all this time, they've actually been surveying the schools and then like apparently using the data that they get back from the schools, which, yes, at Columbia and I'm sure at probably every other school. Was bogus, right? They're gaming the data that they provide to U.S. News because they. Hey, they looked at what your rank. (laughs) That's the lie here, right? Is that the rankings, the 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 metrics that they used for last year are public. Yeah. And so if all the schools wouldn't have backed out this year, which, you know, it's not like this is some independent action of UVA. This is UVA following suit from all these other schools. And they're like, okay, well, nobody's doing it this year. Okay, we're not doing it. Mm hmm. There's just obviously an incentive for you to look at last year's metrics. Oh, this is how you're ranking law schools. Okay, well, then either it's going to change the way we admit students, which is weird, or it's going to we're going to just like sort of figure out a way to massage the data. Oh, you're really into the number of librarians that we have. Oh, okay, well this person used to be categorized as a (laughs) it tech, whatever, but now we're going to move their department under the librarian. I mean, there's a million ways you could make this shit bogus. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it struck me when the Dean said nearly all of UVA's peers, that's a little right. It's like, Oh really? As defined by you, Mm -hmm. your, who are your peers? It's, It's funny that they're then, you know, they're like clearly saying like, well, our peers. In the top 14 of U.S. news rankings.
1: Yeah, there's this this weird rejection of the rankings, but at the same time, this acceptance of it,
0: of course, because they're ranked fifth in the country or
1: whatever it is. Yeah, if it's all fake anyways, then when the rankings change. Why is that <laughs> not oh. because their quality has changed, but because U.S. News has changed its formula. Um, but if the formula is wrong now, then. <laughs> well,
0: which they have always done. Yeah. They, they've always changed. They tweak it every single year. Yeah. The, we've yelled about this on the podcast a thousand times. I mean, this is so we're actually agreeing here that it it, it has always been true. Mm-hmm. It has nothing really to do with this I mean, I guess this is another instance of it. The school's now all, you know, refusing to supply data. Like, yeah, okay. So that's going to. Well, no, the dean is specifically complaining about schools might move up and down in the rankings, not because their quality has changed, but because U.S. News has changed its formula in ways that are neither transparent nor meaningful, which has never not been true. Yeah. Except that it is more transparent than (laughs) Then the dean acknowledges. Yeah. Weird. You know, it does seem to be a little bit of like, hey, I'm withdrawing from the rankings and I'm going to preemptively complain now in case we drop in the rankings. Mm -hmm. But of course, if I'm still number five in the country or whatever it is, I'll make sure to let everybody know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I want to see their pamphlet after this is all done. I imagine, the Dean continues, I imagine that some of you might be concerned about the uncertainty of this moment, but I hope instead that you feel empowered. You have the power to decide what kind of education you want and to find a school that shares your priorities. Your legal education is too important to outsource to anyone. I urge you to ask many questions, consult the wide variety of publicly available information, and explore and visit the schools in which you are interested. Toward that end, we have created a new webpage that collects some of the wealth of information available elsewhere on our website. This new page shares with you what we at UVA think are the important considerations in choosing a law school, helps you get to know us, and enables you to make the best choice for your your legal education. All my best, Risa Goluboff, Dean, UVA School of Law.
1: UVA has every right to do this, of course, but Right when you read that, I started thinking about those web pages where you go to some company and they compare their product or service to every other competitor that's providing the same product or service. And as you look at those comparisons, you know that the company has just set it up to feature the things that benefit them and downplay the things that don't benefit them, right? If there's some feature that they lack, they don't even include it in their comparison chart. My point is, is that as much as I hate the ranking system, it is a centralized system, right? In which everybody has to compete on the same metrics here. Now it's just like going to really rely on, I don't know, what your impression is of the school. I don't, I don't know that people are going to dig into this information and then be like, oh, okay. Like the ranking system actually allows people to know about schools that they would have never thought about. But for whatever reason, have now sort of risen up to some degree in the rankings. Looking
0: at this page that they helpfully provided, what prospective students should know about UVA law. Yeah. First section is student characteristics and admissions data. First thing they link to is the ABA 509. Then under class of 2025, first thing, first bullet point, median LSAT 171. Yeah. Yeah. Then if you're wondering whether they're really concerned about the LSAT, they give you the 25th to 75th percentile LSATs, which are 166 to 173, tightly bunched around that magic median 171 number, which we know the median is so important for admissions, at least it always has been. And if they're putting that on the top of their page of, hey, here's what information we think you should have they're they're making you they're letting you know in you know pretty clearly lsat's the first thing second thing oh uh gpa yeah you know then they go into like a whole bunch of um to me i don't know pretty useless i mean they're giving you just like demographic 315 students from 38 states Uh, okay a list of countries of people coming from there's they also have people from China, India, South Korea, Egypt, Australia, Czech Republic, Peru, and Hungary. Okay.
1: What what are you supposed to make of that?
0: I don't know. <laughs> like it's a national, it's an it's an international whatever. Yeah. 40% of them, uh 50 50% women, 49% men, 1% non-binary. I guess it's nice that UVA is acknowledging that non-binary transgender maybe is a thing. They have a reputation for being pretty conservative. So it's nice to hear them say stuff like that. 40% identify themselves as people of color. Notice the parens here, including people of Middle Eastern descent who are counted as Caucasian by the American Bar Association. So they're like trying to get so they're, they're like getting credit for people of color. Who qualify as Caucasian, which other people might think Caucasian means white, which then are you really a person of color? I guess it's similar to that Egyptian issue that we talked about on previous podcasts where it's like, well, hey, I'm I'm from North Africa. Yeah, I'm black. My my, I mean, I'm dark skinned. Yeah. But yeah, ABA says I'm Caucasian. Yeah. They're pointing that out here. 16% LGBT. Okay, And then I don't know. They go on. (laughs) This other shit on here, Ben, it seems exactly like what the U.S. News has always been ranking schools on student to faculty ratio. Number of resident full time faculty. Is that not what U.S. News has been doing? Then I'm noticing that they link multiple times to something I've never even heard of before, which is Princeton Review Rankings.
1: I've never heard of that either. For the past five years,
0: Ben, the Princeton Review Rankings rated UVA Law School as number one in best professors. Those rankings are based on student surveys.
1: Oh, oh,
0: student surveys. Okay.
1: (laughs) Also, number one
0: in classroom experience, according to the 2022 Princeton Review Rankings. It's funny. It's like, you know, you you can imagine what was going on behind the scenes before, you know, because probably for years the schools have been. I'm sure that they all like independently try to threaten and cajole U.S. news into doing things that are more favorable to them. But at some point it might have turned a little contentious, like, hey, we've got other rankings that we can refer our students to and, you know, When you rank us high, we talk about you. But guess what? There's other places that rank us high. So we could just talk about them instead, which is clearly what they're doing here.
1: Well, this is interesting. I mean, Princeton Review is just another test preparation company. Should we have our own ranking system? (laughs) How do they even they do it on the basis of student surveys? (laughs) Yeah, which
0: there's no possible way to game that. I mean, could you imagine, like, hey guys, Princeton Review sent out this, you know, it's like the, um, you know, my yoga studio is always like vote for us on best of Tahoe, yeah, and it's like okay, and you can like vote as many times as you want, and it's (laughs) you know, it's like okay, well, this is a, it's a popularity contest, but it's clearly riggable by just telling your people to make sure that they participate in this. So student surveys about the classroom experience. And I can imagine all, you know, UVA just like, hey, guys, I know you are real busy with your finals, but I need you to fill out this survey for Princeton. (laughs) I don't know anything else about this. I, I do have a feeling that that's probably capturing the sentiments of of many of these deans who have decided not to participate in the rankings anymore. Yeah, that's why they're doing it or that's why they say they're doing it. All right, there we go. And do we know? I mean, it seems as if now most of the top fourteen has opted out. I think so. Okay. Yeah. And to be clear, that does not mean that those schools are not going to be in the rankings. Yeah. I just had somebody telling me the other day in class, like, "Well, that school's not going to be in the rankings. It's not going to be ranked anymore." And I'm like, "No, (laughs) that's not (laughs) what happened. The schools are just simply not going to fill out the survey anymore for U.S. News. That's the only thing that has happened." Yeah. Uh, U.S. news rankings are not going to like magically disappear. I suppose it's possible that if every school stopped providing them information, then they would no longer be able to produce rankings. But I it's theoretically possible, but practically possible. I don't think so, because they're still going to have access to the U.S. news data.
1: No, if I were US News and I wasn't able to get some information from a lot of schools, I would just take that information, unless it's absolutely critical, but I would just take that information out of my methodology. Well, we're blind to that information, so we can't use it to rank schools, but we can still rank schools on a decent amount of information, including competitiveness, which can be indicated by LSAT and GPA. Yield all sorts of things that are revealed in the in the five hundred nine reports.
0: Somebody out there needs to calculate a correlation between median LSAT and US News ranking. That's what I want to hear. Correlation between US News, like how much of the US News ranking can be explained by LSAT? Yeah, US News says we we weight the LSAT at X percent, but the LSAT is going to also be highly correlated with lots of the other things that they're using to build their ranking yeah and so i want to know some statistician out there can explain it to me how much of the like how heavy is the lsat actually in these rankings decisions or in the in the in fact rankings how much of it can be explained by lsat
1: yeah i have a
0: feeling it's pretty damn close right like if you just lined up all the law schools by median
1: lsat and then lined them up by ranking, how close would that be?
0: <laughs> Yale's gonna be number one, number one. Yep. And Harvard and Stanford and <clears throat> etc. are gonna all be way up there. Yeah. You know, like Berkeley might drop out of the top ten and now it's 15th or something. But so <laughs>
1: that's not it's not hundred percent difference, so it's not really a difference. <laughs> well, you can just think of the how astronomically simpler it is. To rank schools just based on LSAT alone. And if the, that gets you very close, then why go through all this struggle? I have a feeling that the top 14 is going to be like maybe
0: 13 out of the same, 13 out of the 14 same schools. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, you might see again. Yeah. You might see like a Berkeley that tends to prefer grades a little more fall. You might see a UCLA or a Wash U climb. But. On the whole, it's going to still basically be about the LSAT. That's that's the fucked up thing about this. The thing that has led students astray is that they have taken these headlines about U.S. news to mean, oh, the LSAT's going away. I don't see that happening. Yeah. I mean, Dean, whatever this was again, Dean G, (laughs) Dean G did not complain about the LSAT once in that letter. So that's just not what this issue is about.
1: Yeah, I did want to add one other Interesting study item would be okay. How much does LSAT explain ranking? How much does LSAT plus GPA explain ranking? Right. Does that, does that capture even more? And now we're we're like at ninety percent of the rankings are explained by I'm, those two. I'm going to set the that over crazy. under.
0: At, I'm going to set the over under at ninety percent. I think I think median LSAT and median GPA. My guess is. They explain 90% of the U.S. news rankings anyway, which is publicly available data to them. Yeah. So, oh, they're not going to be able to ask you like detailed questions about how many, <laughs> how many books you parking have in your spots? library. Yeah. <laughs> how many
1: parking spots do you have for students?
0: <laughs> okay. I want to read this one from Anonymous.
1: Yeah. The subject is Master of Legal Studies and JD. <laughs> okay. I would prefer that you... Pre- pursue one or the other, but let's see, or I guess you can't pursue a master's of legal studies unless you have a JD, Do you know, I have no idea. Let's, let's see what the email says. A lot of law schools offer a master's in legal studies. Would getting that graduate law degree be something that adds value to JD admissions application? Sorry, add value to a JD admissions application, especially if one's undergraduate degree GPA is rather unimpressive. Plus, I figure it would give an advantage in law school already having the legal studies degree, as you would now have some exposure to the material. I know you'll say, focus on getting the best LSAT, but at some point you hit your brain's ceiling on what you can score. And for us dollards out there, having something we can do that gives us an edge that our fellow dolards won't have seems attractive. Sorry, didn't read that great, but... um. <sighs> So this is a master's that you get before you go to law school, it sounds like. I think this is just a
0: terrible idea. This sounds like a complete waste of money. It sounds like you're, oh, I'll throw money and time at it instead of just getting over the hump on the LSAT. I mean, you're just you're burying your head in the sand here. You're not you're you're calling yourself a dullard like I've hit my brain ceiling Really? Okay. That doesn't sound like a lawyer thing to say. I don't know. It's just.
1: No. Well, think about it. Like you were saying just a second ago, economically, you're going to spend thousands of dollars to get a slight edge at getting into a school. And oh, so that you can do a little bit better while you're at that school. I just don't think the cost benefit analysis is there in any way. Yeah, I have bad grades and I'm
0: just willing to settle for a bad LSAT because I'm a dullard. And because of that, I'm going to go waste a bunch of money on a master's in legal education so that I can hopefully squeak into some bullshit law school that's going to charge me full price
1: because of my bad LSAT and my bad GPA. They're not going to. This is only going to be a soft factor. You have to realize that, right? Because they only consider your undergraduate GPA. So you're paying thousands of dollars for them to see a number on your transcript that is just a number they're going to yeah. see in passing.
0: Right. Like to to tie it back to our earlier conversation about, you know, how much of the rankings is explained by LSAT and GPA. How much of the rankings do you think is explained by the number of people who have a master's in legal studies?
1: <laughs> if anything it's extraordinarily small yeah i would um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was zero if there's no correlation that it's random in fact it could be a negative correlation maybe people who have masters don't make it to the top schools it's just yeah it, it's, <laughs> this i i just really want
0: to tell this person that this this plan makes no sense i don't i don't I really hate this plan. And I especially hate hearing you call yourself a dullard. I know you're joking. That's real bad self-talk. And if you honestly think my brain has reached the limit, I can't understand the LSAT. I just got to I got to tell you, you're you're in for a world of hurt when you go to law school. Because it it's going to get more complex, not less. This is exactly what I think I was talking about earlier, you know, in our in our um, mouse one mouse two conversation where it's like you think that once you get over the LSAT, you're like on easy street. It seems you think else you think law school is going to be easier for your self-described dullard brain. <laughs> and, and it's not. It's going to be harder. So. I, I would encourage you to, like, let go of that idea that you're at your ceiling. Like, says who? Where'd you get that? Let go of the idea that you're a dullard. You need to be able to figure out the law school admission test. I I, I believe that this test is a an excellent test for measuring how successful you're going to be in law school. Yep. Sorry if that's harsh news to hear, Anonymous. Thank you for writing in.
1: This next gotta, email.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we got a support question here from Alex that says, um, hey, what's the best way to gauge my current score range? Should I average my last 10 full four section practice tests? Should I go by the median of those 10? Should I focus on the entire range of those last 10? Thanks, Alex. What do you think about that? We get that question a lot.
1: Yeah, I think, first of all, you're getting... A little too specific by saying four section practice tests versus three section practice tests. That doesn't matter. Well, versus practice tests that you that
0: you spaced out throughout the week. Like, I don't care if it took you a week, but you did the three scored sections. Yep. That's a practice test.
1: Yeah. Those sections timed. Yeah, that's a practice test. So look at your last. I, I don't even think you need to look at the last 10, just the last five, six tests. What's your range? What's the highest score you got in that set of six or set of five? And what's the lowest score you got? That's your range. Yeah. Yep. And
0: you need to accept all you need to be like willing to accept all of those scores that are within your range. So that's not to say, oh, the lowest one is good enough that it's going to get me into Stanford. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you're looking at the range of the last five and you go, there's enough good ones in there that like those are getting me to Stanford or a scholarship or whatever it is that you want. The bad ones, you also have to be willing to accept those like, OK, I understand that if I took the test tomorrow, I might get one of those numbers and that's OK. Like, I'll probably take it again. You, you should take it again. If you score at the bottom of your range, you should take it again. But you need to be willing to accept that the bottom of your range is what it actually is. And not be like in this wishful thinking mode where it's like, well, the top, I'll, I'm going to score one of those top numbers. Because if that's your mindset going into the test, I think you're, you're setting yourself up for a, a real potential crash and burn type of failure.
1: I mean, the reverse is also true, right? People who score between 165 and 172 and they just can't stop focusing about their 165. It's like, hey, you're also capable of a one seventy two. So don't discount the top of your range.
0: Right. Yeah. You're you're going in accepting the whole range of outcomes. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't hit driver on a sorry for always going back to golf. But you know, driver is the club that goes the farthest in the bag. All right. Because it goes the farthest, it also has the widest dispersion. So when you're deciding what club to hit and you're standing on the tee, you don't hit driver just because the good outcomes are better. You have to also think about the bad outcomes and you have to go, okay, is it worth hitting driver here, given the possibility of these bad outcomes? Now, of course, in the context of law school admissions, the bad outcomes really just kind of don't count
1: yeah in golf that's going to count against you in right. missions it's just uh it's more like the dart analogy right you have five darts to win ten thousand dollars actually really we should just say it two hundred thousand dollars you have <laughs> right. five darts to win two hundred thousand dollars are you going to pick up two of those darts throw them at the dartboard and then walk away <laughs> right you're well you're also <laughs> not going
0: to like there's a practice dartboard over there. And then there's the real 200,000 dartboard here.
1: Yeah, if you hit the bullseye, you get $200,000. You can walk away if you hit the bullseye after your first attempt or your second attempt, you're like, okay, I won, thank you, see you later. But most people don't hit the bullseye the first time, yet they stop. You can they're practice happy all you want. The, they're happy with the $100,000 gift or the, even the $10,000 gift. And they say, hey, I'll take that, have a right. good night. But the,
0: I think the question for Alex, I mean, what Alex is really asking here when assessing my range, I think the question that Alex is really asking is, how do I know when I'm ready to take the official test? Mm-hmm. Right. So looking back at your range, well, the dart board analogy is perfect here because you can throw practice darts all day. Yeah. Then when you think you're ready you're going to go over to the official board. And I would, I think with my practice darts, I would be looking like, okay, well the last five. Yep. If all of the last five missed the board entirely, (laughs) then you're not ready to start chucking official darts. But if three out of the last five hit the bullseye, then I kind of, you know, if you mentally can accept the idea that you don't care about the ones that missed the board, right? Because that's actually fine. If you hit the bullseye twice and miss the board three times, I might go, well, I don't know. You could keep practicing for sure. hmm But you also could at some point start throwing some of your official darts. Yeah. Okay. Advice for Alex. Stop caring about full time full length four section practice tests. I just don't think that matters. If you can do it in 35 minute bursts, I think you can do
1: it in a full test. I do think there's some value in taking a test sitting down. Once in a while. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Once in a while. When you're when you're calculating your range, you can include tests that were really merged three individual sections.
0: Yeah, cuz otherwise to take five full practice tests or as Alex is suggesting, 10 full practice tests to see your range. I mean, that should go back 3 months. Yeah. Right? If you're no more than one full test a week. And so you're talking now about 3 months worth of prep. Well,
1: you've presumably changed, you've hopefully. made progress.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so your range is narrow. That's why yeah, you can totally rely on those um one section at a time. Tests. All right. Hopefully that's helpful. You want to read this uh, email from Eric on? Uh, we've got this as a pearls versus turd.
1: Okay, great. Eric writes: Past listeners have asked for resources to improve their writing, so I thought I'd share this lecture by Larry McEnery. Uh, Mc- McEnery. McEnery. knee. Oh yeah, thank you. At the University of Chicago. Okay. So anyways, this links to a YouTube video that's over an hour long. (laughs) Eric kindly provides us a summary. Here is the summary. Good writing is valuable to its readers. We develop bad writing habits as students because we cheat to create that value. We literally pay our readers to read our work. Stop there. So as students. yeah. 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 Explain that. Yeah. So as students, we are paying our professors to read the homework assignments that we have written or graduate teaching
0: assistants.
1: Yeah. Whoever we, (laughs) we are paying them to read what we have written in part because our writing is not worthy of being (laughs) read for free.
0: (laughs) Yeah. If somebody wanted to read it for free or even better, if somebody wanted to pay you to write it, you could just go get paid to write it. But yeah, in school, that's what we're doing. We're paying people to read our
1: shit. Yep. We're paying others for the opportunity to write instead of them paying us for our writing. Right. Anyways, Eric continues, but the opposite is true in the professional world where we expect to be paid for our work. That only happens if our writing is valuable to our readers Professional writers often signal the value of their work with an introduction that boils down to, here's what you think about X, here's why you're wrong. So in that situation, I mean, if that's true, I don't know if that's how most writing is deemed valuable, but you're you're, you're giving something of value, specifically information to someone and changing the way they think about the world. Right. So that can be valuable to them, especially if you have something valuable to say.
0: Yeah, it's a powerful signal there, too, when you say here's what you think about X. Yeah, I find that useful in the classroom a lot. You know, like somebody starts asking a question and then I can already tell that they think this weird thing. And if I'm able to say to them. I pretty sure you think X, Y, Z. Is that right? Mm hmm. And then I can explain it's like. I guess you're signaling expertise there when you actually signaling
1: understanding, right? No one wants to be told unless they are understood. Right, right. Yeah,
0: yeah. You get me. You understand what's in my head. But then also it's like, wow, how does this person understand what's in my head? They really know what they're talking about.
1: Eric continues on LSAT reading comp. I now like to ask, why did the author expect to get paid for this passage? Why would some people pay actual dollars to read this? This is just a different way of framing the main point question, but it helps me cut through the fluff and pick out the really important stuff.
0: Okay. I like it. I, I like it as a as another way of getting at. I wrote a long time ago in my first LSAT book, I wrote, Why are you wasting my time with this? as a response to any reading comp passage. That's Mm -hmm. always been in my head. Like another way of saying, I think the same thing. Why are you wasting my time with this? What's your fucking point? What are you intending me to get out of this document? Mm -hmm. And Eric is saying another way. Maybe it's a little bit nicer way of saying it, but it's like, hey, what was the author? How did they like? What was the value that they intended to convey here? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you need to go all the way into it to think about like who the writer is or who they might've been working for or whatever, but what we're, it's just another way of teasing out, Hey, we're looking for what's your main point here. Like, what are you trying to sell? That's another way of saying it, right? What are you selling here when you're selling Mm -hmm. something, you're trying to get paid. Yeah. What did you want to say about this?
1: I was concerned that people might get too caught up into what you just said, right? Like, oh, who was the author intending to write this to? And what were they hoping to get out of it? And I don't want that to get in the way of simply what's, what's the author trying to convey to me now here or whoever was reading this. And so bringing in the dollars part, I thought could be distracting, but to the extent it helps you or anyone listening to this zero in on the main point Well, then it's a Pearl.
0: I also vote Pearl. Not that I'm going to then steal this and start using it in my classes. But Eric, you know, a very capable former student of ours who killed the LSAT to the tune of 170, whatever, who now teaches for us at LSATDemon.com, you know, as a former student who is now a teacher who has happened upon this way of communicating hey, here's how we need to really be thinking about reading comprehension passages and, you know, side note, might learn something about your actual writing. I I do want to give it a pearl because I think it's great that Eric is looking for his own ways of communicating, you know, these same ideas, which for whatever reason are are frequently hard to get across. Right? Remember when I think it was Becca blew our mind with a tip that was related to like I realized that many of my students were reading the passages and they they didn't they didn't understand that there was a story there. And we were like, well, wait, what people were reading the passages, but they weren't following along like a story and expecting there to be some point to it. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. But it it's that's that's how many people approach this reading comprehension. It's like, well, here's it's like they're not even reading. I was going to say they're reading sentences, but they're not even really reading sentences. They're reading words. You know, it's like they're going word, 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 word. And what? What? What did that mean? What was the point of it? Huh? And then they they go back like, well, uh, well, it's about. Word, 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 word. word. Yeah. That's not the point. That's not that's not why they wasted your time with this document. It wasn't to say words. It was to tell you a story. It was to try to sell you something. It was to make a fucking point. And so Eric's getting at that in a different way here with why did the author expect to get paid for this passage? So I'm willing to give it a pearl. OK. Twenty two pearls, sixty nine turds, twenty six ties. Lots of bad advice out there. But uh, that one's coming from a. Uh, part of the team. So yeah, that's, it's clear that Eric uh, gets it.
1: If you have an e, uh pearl versus turd candidate, email help at thinkinglsat.com or find us on social at thinking LSAT. We want to hear what you are hearing out in the universe. You can be LSAT famous. Please ask us
0: questions or share news with us at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about the LSAT demon as a product, it's the world's best LSAT study tool hands down. If you like what we have to say, you really need to check out LSAT Demon. One good way to get started is to ask a question. uh, Help at LSATDemon.com. We got a really great customer service team. They'll get back to you uh, answering any of your questions about how the demon works. If you want more of our bullshit, check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. All of our podcasts are on YouTube and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere that you might find a podcast. That was episode 381 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.